You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us as we jump into today's message. Jesus changes everything, and we're so excited to see what He is going to do in your story. So get ready. God is on the move. Good morning, Emmanuel. How many of you love Jesus today? Love Him? Big shout out to all of our locations and those joining online. So excited to be worshiping together with you today. Hey, a couple things before we dive right into today's message. First of all, next week, we begin a brand new series called Keeping It Real. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians, and we have connect groups that are going to be gathering all over in each of our locations, um, t- discussing the sermon series is on Sundays. And, uh, and I just want to say, it's important for you to be connected to other believers. And this is a great on-ramp moment for you. If you have not been involved in the connect group, or maybe you want to start one, we've got information available to help you get started in each of our lobbies. We also have information on our website. I want to encourage you, get involved in connect groups. And next week is also our kickoff, our fall kickoff for every location. So we've got extra activities, extra things going on in each location, and it's a great time for you to invite your friends, your family to come to church. Maybe they've been thinking about it. Maybe you know somebody that isn't in church. Hey, say, hey, come to church with me. You'll have a lot of fun next weekend. All right, I'm going to dive right into today's message. The title of the message is this, A Praying House. A Praying House. Turn the next to you and say, A Praying House. I'll talk about what that means in a moment. Many of you know that I am a big-time Michigan Wolverine fan, and, um, and I'm a Gopher fan too, as long as they're not playing each other. But let me just tell you this. When I, it really comes out of the heritage I came out of growing up in the state of Michigan. You go to a Michigan football game, I got a picture that uh, I took there with my iPhone. And in Michigan Stadium, uh, there's 109,000 plus people inside the stadium on, on a, during a football game. And there's another 50,000 outside of the stadium. On a Saturday afternoon, Ann Arbor, Michigan becomes the third largest city in the state of Michigan because everybody converges in that space. And really, it's a lot of fun. And there's tailgating. There's miles and miles of people just throwing balls, having their Michigan gear on. And it's kind of a culture of connection and community. And it's about the fight song. It's about, it's not just about what happens on the field. It's also about what's happening uh, person to person. Let me tell you this, that place wouldn't be as special as it is without the people there. It's not just the, it's not just the building, the structure, but what makes it special is the people. As a matter of fact, it's the shared experiences of life that make anything special. When we go through something together, relationships are built off of shared experiences. When you and I get to spend time with people, and maybe it's a fun experience, we go on a trip, we go to different places, we can look back on those times, and we can share that experience with other people. You remember when, da 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 And even tough, traumatic experiences are bonding moments where we actually bond with other people. And when it comes to what we do in church today, I want you to understand that Prayer, without a prayer connection to God, everything in our lives is meaningless. Without a prayer connection to God, everything else is meaningless. In other words, just coming to church is not church without each other, but especially without meeting with God. Without a prayer connection to God, your life is missing out on what makes it special. Without a prayer connection, your family is missing what will hold it together. Without a prayer connection to God, our church is missing what makes church special. And without a prayer connection to God, parents are raising their kids 
alone. A praying house is a group of people who are dedicated to continuously praying and to never stop. Turn to the person next to you say, don't stop. A praying house is a family, a church, a group of friends who simply will not be found in a condition of prayerlessness. And listen, Jesus is very interested in what happens in his house. Both the physical gatherings when we gather together in the temple and we, his people, are called his house. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a moment where you need to just recognize God is building us. We are his house. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are the house. <laughs> now I want you to go with me to, and think about Mark chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can look there. I'm not going to read through the whole chapter today, but I want you to see an experience. And this is what happened. Jesus, who comes to his temple. Now, Jesus is the son of God. He creates the whole world. He's a part of every part of the Old Testament. Now we're into the New Testament, and Jesus is alive, and he goes to his house, his temple, and he's going to do an inspection. He's going to inspect. How many like a house inspector? Nobody wants the house to be inspected, right? You got somebody coming to inspect your house. You're cleaning up everything, fixing everything. You want to make sure it's absolutely perfect. Well, Jesus goes through in Mark chapter 11. He walks through his house. And as he's walking through his temple, he's not happy. In fact, the scripture says that on his way home that night, he cursed a fig tree. He was kicking the dog, folks. He was mad. Something new. He just had an attitude issue. The next day, he comes back to church and he, into the temple, and he walks around. He begins to tip tables over, and he quotes Scripture. Look at verse 17. It says, he said to them, those people in the crowd, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He actually quotes from two different verses in that verse. He quotes from Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. And many times when I've talked about this particular passage of Scripture here at Emmanuel, we've talked about the facet of he was tipping over the tables in the outer courts where the Gentiles were meant to come, and Jesus was upset that there wasn't room for people of all nations to come and worship and pray in his house. But I'm not going to focus on that aspect of it today. I want to focus on what he called his temple. What does he say? My temple will be called a house of prayer. There was a very specific thing that he wanted to be happening in that house. People were to connect with God in the house. And of all the activity that takes place in the temple, prayer was the most vital of all. What is a church, what is a business, what is a family known for? What are you known for in your family, your house? What are you, what's the label on your house? What's the label on a church? Are we known for our kids' ministry, for our worship, for donuts? What is it? Relational culture? Coffee? How many like coffee? You don't mind having coffee in church. Okay. What are we known for? Now, I'm a little bit of a church junkie, and I like church signs. And uh, I've collected a few over time. If you stole our AC, you're sure going to need it one day. wonder what they're saying to the community. We love hurting people. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> 
God's love is deeper than this snow. Do you see any snow there? I don't. Stop, drop, and roll won't work in hell. Church parking only. Violators will be baptized. <laughs> That's not what we did today, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Little Hope Baptist Church. Uh, <laughs> you give God the credit, now give God the cash. <laughs> wow. First Congregational Meth Church. You need to update that sign a little bit. Christmas, easier to spell than Hanukkah. I don't know why. Don't know what they're saying there. Whoever's praying for snow, please stop. I've prayed that prayer. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> I don't know what all of those signs say to the community around it, but when Jesus looks at his church, he first looks at us according to our prayer. He's evaluating the prayer. And unfortunately, we can experience generational drift with important values. One generation's decline can set the ceiling for the next generation. This is how it works. In the first generation, parents fail to make prayer, the Bible, and church a high priority. In the second generation, kids grow up and it's less important for their kids. In the third generation, those kids grow up and make no priority for their kids. And in the fourth generation, kids grow up with no concept of God. See, this is a, a generational drift question when it comes to prayer. What's important to the first generation, if it's not passed to the next generation, we're in trouble. And let me just say that for parents, it's really important what your prayer life is like. For family members, for friends, it's important what we're developing and cultivating in the next generation. Your priorities set the stage for the next generation. It's fascinating what Jesus' disciples wanted to learn. Think about it. After spending all this time with Jesus and they walked the earth, he was speaking truth and loving people and healing and confronting and he could sleep in the middle of a storm. How many want that kind of peace? He could handle big and small settings. So when they had the opportunity to ask Jesus for something, it wasn't, teach me to do a miracle or show me how to walk on water. You know what they asked him? Look at it. It says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to what? Teach us to pray. What is prayer, you may ask? You know, we got people from various backgrounds, religions, and no religion. You're like, well, what is prayer, Pastor Nate? What? At this basic level, it's a connection to God. It's communication between you and God. I love what Psalm 18, verse 6 says. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help, and he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his what? His ears. Did you know that God has an ear? That our voice actually vibrates in his ears. It's not just some words we speak that are thrown out to the universe, but there is an actual connection to the creator. That your mouth, your words, your heart, your cry to God is actually heard 
by God. It's a connection to him. And the result of your prayer is that he will unclutter your heart. Confusion and stress can overwhelm you. And if you're burdened, you don't need a pep talk. You need a prayer time. Come on, somebody. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isaiah 40, those that wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. It's like an umbilical cord, if you will. We were uh, reintroduced to uh, parenting, in a sense, as grandparents, as we watch babies come in into the family. And one of the things about uh, a mother who has the baby in the womb is they have an umbilical cord. And the umbilical cord has the ability to take the junk out of, a person, of the baby, all the, the toxins, all the stuff that needs to go, and replace it with nutrients to help that baby grow. And that's exactly what prayer does. It's an umbilical cord to heaven. It takes those things that are on the inside out that need to go, and it replaces it with a peace that passes understanding. I believe that prayer at its basis is so critical to us, it's like oxygen. We have to have that connection to God or else it grows deep inside of us. I love what the message version of Matthew chapter 11 says when Jesus is speaking. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? You burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that good? There's something about that connection between you and God. In a world where we work really hard or we try to buy a product to make us feel good and it's only temporary, the best thing you can do is pray. Prayer is free. You can connect with God and you can find a freedom in him. Jesus tells us the pattern of how we can pray. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you can pray. This is how Jesus responds to his disciples' question of, Lord, teach us to pray. This is how Jesus says it. He says, and by the way, this version may not be the version you memorized it with. And that's the point, actually, today. Pray like this, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. How many of you memorize that in a different version than that one, huh? Not... Jesus wasn't saying, pray this identical prayer like it's some kind of chant or magic potion thing that you chant. He says, pray like this. That means it's a pattern. And hidden within the patterns are values that we need to have in our own prayer connection to God. Look at how he starts. He starts with a confession, our Father. Now, our means you're not the only kid. It's not just about you, but there are other people. You're recognizing I'm connected to others. I'm in the family. 
I'm in the family. Turn to somebody tell them, you're in the family. You're in. You're, okay? So when you're praying, when you pray, pray like this. He says, pray, our Father. That word Father is absolutely critical for your own prayer life. And the enemy has worked overtime to destroy our connection to earthly fathers. Because our only God concept of God comes from our relationship to our earthly parents. If you didn't have a good earthly father, the enemy would like to stop your prayer life. If you didn't have a good father or you didn't know your father, he could stop it. But let me tell you this. Jesus is saying, listen, even if you didn't have a good earthly father, because there were fathers that were bad fathers in Jesus' day too. When you pray, you're going to the perfect father. Our Father, you're in, you're one of his kids, you're wanted, you're welcome, you're at the table, and he's a good, good Father. Can I get an amen to that? Anybody can pray. Anyone can pray to the Father at any point in time. It says he's in heaven. Heaven is the control room. In those days when they talk about the heavens, it was like the place that was pulling all the, the levers to control what was going on on earth. Our Father who's in the control room of heaven, you're there. You're, you're not just another one of the people in the control room. You're the top dog. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to you. There's nobody like God. There's nobody equal in the, in the power. If I, if I played a game of opposites with you and I said light, you would say dark. If I say hot, you would say, if I say loud, you say quiet or soft. Okay. If I say God, you say, if you said Satan, you're wrong because every other one of those things is an equal opposite. Satan is not equal to God. Demons tremble at his name spoken. There is no, he's God. So when you're saying our father in heaven, you're saying I'm going to the, to the place that's in control of the whole earth. I'm going over the head of my enemies. I'm going over the head of the government. I'm going over the head of everyone that thinks they got control over me. I'm going over the head of my persecutors, my abusers, the people that think they control me. Listen, nobody controls God. I'm going over their heads when I say our Father in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? And then he says, he says, give us this day our bread, the bread we need to eat. In other words, he's the one that's going to give us what we need. God can take care of you when Amazon can't. Come on. <laughs> you, <laughs> he's our provider. And then Jesus shifts in his prayer and he says, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. This is a prayer of confession. To confess comes from the Greek word homo logeo, and to confess is to speak the same thing to God as what he already sees. Listen, there is nothing you're going through that he doesn't already see. He knows what you're hiding, what you're covering up, Adam and Eve. He knows what's going on in the corridors of your heart and your mind. He's aware of what's happening in the world around you. He sees the injustice 
going on all around us every single day. He's aware of those things. But he says, when you pray, pray, forgive us our sins. Some of that is sin, and some of that is what's going on in the heart and our mind. When I say this, I'm, I'm speaking specifically, if you do have sin, if you keep it inside, what's going to happen to you? It's going to corrode the rest of your, your, your brain, your heart. You're not going to get better if you keep it inside. It's like gas. The more you hold it in, the more it hurts. Let it out. Just get it out. Okay? I'm going to get kicked for that one later on. Jody's not going to be excited about that one. But here's the point. You've got to open up and confess and speak to God what he already sees. It's giving him access to your heart and your life. And it's not just restricted to sin. When confession, biblically speaking, is when we, we talk to God about everything we're going through. My favorite thing to do is read the Psalms and see the psalmist singing their song out to God. Lord, you're so good to me. You're my rock and my salvation. You read that? And that, you know, it's a good thing to pray, pray out the Psalms once in a while too. I'll sing it once in a while. But you'll see the psalmist have deep emotions and go on deep valleys and go through experiences much like us. Lord, the water's up to my neck and I feel like I'm sinking. Where are you? David was able to say, Lord, my best friend turned his back on me. Kill him. <laughs> Crush his teeth. Well, again, you read the psalm. It's brutal, right? Now, God doesn't go, I'm going to answer David's prayer. I'm just going to kill people. What he's doing is he's opening up a channel of confession so that all the junk in the baby can get out. All the hatred and the anger and the bitterness inside the heart can be gone. Listen, when we give God access to every thought, he has the capacity to come and take it out. If we keep it in, it gets worse. That temptation, that thought, those things that you've been battling inside, just keeping it inside isn't going to change anything. And just calling your sissy ain't going to change anything either. And just posting it on social media didn't change one thing on the inside of your heart because you got it off your chest. No, but if you confess it to the Lord, now all of a sudden freedom and healing come in. Can I get an amen to that? If you're in darkness, the biblical way to turn the light on internally is through confession. That's through confession. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Not just sin, but everything. Now, there's a requirement here if we're going to have our prayers heard and answered. If we confess our sins to him, what does it say in verse 12 of Matthew when Jesus is giving this model prayer? And forgive us our sins as, everybody said as, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. In other words, he's going to do it, but we've got to be forgiving. It is not possible to be a Christian and not forgive. You have to, you're like, but I've done it a bunch of times and the anger just came up again today then it's a present tense word. I'm forgiving that person again today. In other words, I'm turning them over to God. 
God, you handle it. You take care of it. I can't. You can pray, and you can pray your forgiveness out as a habit. Finally, it's praying for us. He says, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Rescue us from the evil one. You know, as I was thinking about life in, in the church over decades, over centuries since the book of Acts, and the world around the church and the impact on the church and the heart of the church, the attitude of the church, the people of the church had to grapple with different temptations at different seasons and different hours of church history. Today's generation is battling all kinds of different temptations. And when Jesus says pray, don't just pray, Lord, keep me out of temptation. But he brings in the we word and the us word, if you will, being able to say, don't let us fall apart. Don't let us give up. You know, on any given weekend, I'm speaking. There are some of you that's had the greatest victory of your life. And at the same time, there's somebody sitting next to you that's thinking about a divorce in the same space. So that when we gather together and one person is doing well and another person isn't doing as well, we are taking care of one another so that when we worship, we're not just worshiping saying, God, I love you. Thank you for salvation. And we're also worshiping saying, Lord, strengthen my sisters, strengthen my brothers, the weakest person among us. Let your kingdom come in their, their life. Let your will be done on earth in their life. Lead us not into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Scripture speaks of a house as far more than a physical building that you live in. I want you to think about this, your house. It's not just the physical building that you have. It's also who your name is and all the people connected to you, your group of friends, your family, if you're married and, or you have kids that would be that. It would also be true if you own a business or your department the house of whatever. In fact, on the count of three, I, I want you to just say your last name out loud. One, two, three, go. <laughs> the house of whatever, right? Whatever your name was, because all I heard was. <laughs> but scripturally speaking, when God looked at an individual, he also looked at their dynasty. The people that were around them and after them. There was a dynastic aspect to that. In fact, if you look at the kingdom of, in the house of David, David was this shepherd boy who became a king. He had promises from God and a unique relationship with God. God promised him that his house would rule over David's throne forever. In fact, Jesus is one of his um, um, people that were a descendant of his, and, and Jesus is part of David's promise, a promise God made to the house of David. But when David had some failures in his life, and he didn't shore them up, those failures hurt the next generation. And in the second generation, they didn't quite follow God the same way. By the time they got to the third generation, that generation didn't tell anything about following God to the fourth generation, and Israel fell apart. And by the time we reach Amos, who's a prophet in Israel, everything has fallen apart. The nation is not serving God, and there's this prophetic word spoken 
that includes the house of David. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. And from the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. I love this because there's the promise hidden in the worst of circumstances. If the word of God and and prayer and the life of Christ has been eroded in your life or in the generations after you, we can trust that God can rebuild the house, that God can take what has been broken and lost and rebuild it in our own story. He has a special story of anointing and calling on your life. He has a special story and anointing of calling on your children. He has a special story and anointing and a calling on this church. Can I get an amen? And we can see it restored. Even in David's case, all was lost, but it could be restored. In a sense, his house had lost what had made it special, God's presence. And this is the drift. Our house loses what makes it special. And I would say to you, if you don't have it, you can get it back. You can have the presence of God in your life. It could be a loss of love between you and your spouse. Or the business in life is preventing you from staying connected to what really matters. Anyone can drift without intentionally giving our house some love, some heart attention, if you will. Fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible. and Jesus is speaking to the churches in Revelation. And he says this to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He's saying to the church at that time, repent. Repentance is a simple word. It means to change or to turn. And you can have a heart for God's house again. You can return to your first love. Your prayer life can be awakened. You can pray. And the first step is an act of repentance is to pray. To drop your guard and just say, God, here I am. I want to have a greater connection with you. Practically speaking, you can pray at home with your family. A house of prayer. A praying house. You're like, well, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. Do you have any friends? (laughs) Who are the people you're hanging with? Can you connect with them and pray with them? Can parents begin to pray with their kids? Your kids, by the way, parents, need to have more than the kids' pastors praying in front of them. Come on, somebody. They'll follow your faith, not just the Sunday school class. They follow your faith. In fact, I would say this to you, dads. Listen to me. Kids are more likely to follow the religion of their father than their mother. I don't know why that is, but the stats show it's true. So dads, don't just let mom be the one that prays all the time. Come on, somebody. I'm going to step on some toes this morning. And parents, why don't we just pray through things? I think our kids kids need to overhear us praying, not just complaining. What would it be like if you're really frustrated with your job, or you're really frustrated with the government, or you're really frustrated with society, or you're really frustrated with somebody that's in your family, 
And you're talking about all that. What would it be like if your kids, instead of hearing you argue all the time and you, you complaining, what if they heard you in the living room while you're on your knees talking to Jesus about them? What would it change in your kid's heart? Uh-huh. Return to your first love. Do the things you used to do. What's the first thing we do when we become a Christian? We pray. It's the very first thing we do. We drop our guard and we say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I'm a sinner. I know that you are God. You came and lived a sinless life on the earth. You died on the cross for my sin, and then you rose from the dead. I'm giving up. I can't do it on my own. So I surrender to you, and you pray. That's the entrance to the kingdom. It's not anything you do to make God love you more. It's the moment you drop your guard and you let him in. Surrender your life to Christ. And then you go years along and you learn how to do life and you count on grandma praying for you. You count on the spiritual people in your life praying for you. You count on somebody else doing the prayer. You come to church and you're like, Pastor Nate better preach well today. Better pray well today. Worship team better worship well today. And meanwhile, God is leaning in, waiting to hear your voice. Ah, He's waiting to hear you talk to him. Not just, by the way, just singing the words that somebody else wrote on the screen, but the words, the real words of your heart. You're like, but I'm not eloquent. He isn't looking for eloquent. He's looking for real. He's looking for real. When you get real with God, he gets real with you. Don't neglect meeting together and praying. Hebrews 10, 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Would you stand with me today, church? This week, we, uh, we celebrated the life of Shirley Denyus and felt the presence of the Lord in here. But one of the things that I had a, an experience of in the, during that memorial service is that I, I started thinking about my kids and my grandkids and started thinking about what am I, what's the condition of my house? What's the condition of my own heart? And I don't believe that God is into guilt or shame with that stuff. I think when things are illuminated to us and we realize we, we've got some room to grow, that we need to re-engage in something, I think God's grace is there. He goes, I forgive you. But it, it comes the entrance to grow us. He comes and he does it. And so I just started saying, Lord, would you up my prayer game? Would you up like Shirley Denyus? There was somebody in the hallway after the service, former student that became pastors and now they're in another church, and, and she said, I was listening to that, and, and I've been worried about and all the struggles of life, and she said, I just need to surely up. <laughs> I'm like, that is good, because Shirley went through all kinds of physical obstacles and loss of loved ones and all kinds of things, and she only upped her prayer game in the middle of that, and I would just say this church, is, as we await the return of Jesus, 
As times get darker, let's up our prayer game. Let's, let's up it. Let's, let's lean in and connect with God at the end of the service here in each of our locations. I just want to challenge everybody under the sound of my voice just to find a spot to make your own personal altar. They're going to sing a song, but don't just get caught up in the song and the words of the song. We're going to talk about speaking Jesus over our families and over our city and that kind of thing. But let this be a moment where you open your mouth and you speak real words to God yourself about where you're at. It's not going to be new information to God. He already knows where you are. Confession is when you drop your guard and you go, okay, I'm not hiding it anymore. And you start talking to God where you're at. He'll give you wisdom if you need it. He'll give you what you need. He'll give you comfort. He'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And you won't fear because he's with you if you open your mouth and talk to God. So I'm going to pray a prayer here at the end of this message here. This won't be the conclusion of the service. The pastors at each location will come up at the end after worship. But I want to challenge you, if you can, to find your own personal altar. You might want to come to the front of the room. You might want to kneel where you're at. You might want to take a step away from where you are. Just say, I'm moving to you, Jesus. Where you just say, Lord, I want to up my game. I want to connect to you. And you start praying. That's repentance, friends. That's turning and going in a new direction right now. Don't wait till after the Vikings beat the Packers this afternoon. Let this be the moment. Oh, I got division on the platform now. I got division. Pastor John Carlos is a Packer fan. He even wore a little green on the bottom top of his shoes. That's all right. That's temporary. No matter who wins or loses today, we need to talk to Jesus. Amen. Would you just lift your hands right now, Father? We come before you and we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you know us. And like Jesus said, this is the way you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come down on earth just like it is in heaven. Lord, your will be done here, Jesus. Lord, we confess to you today our sins. We confess our brokenness. We confess our need of you. We confess there's no other God but you. And Lord, we forgive those that have offended us and wounded us and hurt us. We choose again to forgive. And as we open up our hearts and lives, I pray the toxins of our past, the toxins of the air we breathe would be moved out and you would replace it, Lord, with a toxin-free heaven, air of heaven, Lord. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you lift our hearts, that you'd help parents to be praying parents, that you would help students, Lord, to be full of the Spirit, Lord, and praying students in school and at home. I pray that this church would be a praying church. We'd be a house Praise Jesus. We thank you for it today. And we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.